We are turning our attention to the book of Colossians on Walk in Truth. So glad you're with us today. This book is really all about the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that he is God and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll look at the hope laid up for you in heaven. And it's today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Now check this out. Here's where Paul says in Colossians 2, look at verse 20. These people say things like this. Do not handle, two, I'm sorry, 221. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are what? Of no value against fleshly indulgence. You know, people in the early church took this so far that some people emasculated themselves in the early church thinking that that would help them avoid temptation. Some people went and lived in a monastery. But all of this, forgetting what the central problem is, the central problem is right here, folks. It's the heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things or desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's not severe treatment of your body that's gonna get you right with God. It's that you are born again. Amen, to a living hope. You must experience the power and the grace of God to be saved. You don't need to just be band-aided, you need to be renovated. You need to be regenerated of the Holy Spirit. Now the opposite side of this was people responded, well, you know what, if all matter is evil and the body's wicked and it's unredeemable, then the flip side, the, the opposite pole was what's called antinomianism. So there's, there's another one, Pastor Michael. Antinomianism is simply this. No, namas in Greek means law. Anti means no. So they said no law. So here's the deal. If the body's unredeemable and all matter's evil anyway, then guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna do whatever we want with our bodies because all that really matters is our spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul addressed a group of people apparently still messing with prostitutes as Christians, justifying their behavior. And Paul said, don't you know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. You've been bought with a price, therefore do what? Glorify God in your body. Your body does matter. This went so far with these people who had this strange view from the Greek uh, 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 dualists and so forth philosophers. It went so far that they began to deny the material nature of the resurrection body. They said Christ, all matters evil, so Christ didn't have a body, therefore he couldn't have raised in a physical body. They denied the physical re resurrection of Christ. And many even modern cults and religions teach that when Jesus rot, rose from the dead, he was in some sort of spirit form, but it wasn't a physical resurrection. And Jesus debunks that in, Ma in Luke 24 when he says, hey, got anything to eat? And they had a piece of broiled fish and some versions say a honeycomb and he ate it in their presence. Aren't you glad in the resurrection we're gonna eat? Oh, it makes me so happy. 
So here's the deal. 1 Corinthians 15 was written to a group of people denying the resurrection, and all matter cannot be evil because you and I are going to live forever in resurrection bodies that are going to be physical. How could all matter be evil if we're going to spend eternity in resurrection bodies in a new Jerusalem with a resurrected Christ? All matter cannot be evil. And so what what you see is in the Colossian heresy a thread of teaching that permeated seemingly every area of this church. And when you get one idea wrong, when your theology is wrong, it can cause you to live the wrong way in a lot of areas. So there's certain people who have beliefs about the afterlife and they believe they have to earn their way or they have to beat their body into submission or it really doesn't matter what they do. And so your belief system does affect how you live. Your doctrine affects how you live out your belief system. That's why when you read stuff like this in the New Testament, don't be shocked that people are called out and corrected. The reason is, is because this is hugely important. What you believe matters because you're gonna live it out in your life, right? All right, all of that is introduction. How do you like that? Now, with very limited time, we're going to tackle the first eight verses Uh, I guess you could sum up the Colossian heresy. Some people believe it was one system with with a word called syncretism. They were trying to kind of amalgamate multiple belief systems into one, and the closest thing that we have to it today is the modern New Age movement. The modern New Age movement says you can take a little bit from Christianity, a little bit from Hinduism, a little bit from Buddhism, a little bit from this, and a little bit from that, and it doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. The highest belief in many circles today is sincerity. Are you sincere about what you believe? If, if, you're, if that's true for you, it must be true. No, truth is not determined by how you feel, right? All right, let's go into verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Just quickly, Paul's the author of the letter. Timothy's with him, not the co-author. Timothy, our brother. Paul called him my son. Now he says, Timothy, our brother. It reminds us that as Christians, we are family. This is a family of God. It's not always easy to love family. Amen. (laughs) We're all different. We have different perspectives and stuff, but we're called to love each other. That's what the church is. It's a family under the headship of Christ. Some people believe that uh, Timothy is acting as Paul's secretary, writing the letter for him as he speaks it out because Paul had potentially some problems with his eyesight and so forth. The church is not a kind of abstract entity. It's not a building. It's the men and women and children of God. You are the church. No matter where we met today, This would be church, because you're the church. Verse 2, he writes to the saints and faithful brethren. The church is saints. The word saint in Haggai is hagios in Greek, and it means sacred. Saints are sacred, holy, pure, set apart exclusively for God. That's what you are. You're a saint. Now, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they have a process by which they saint people. You have to do a miracle and do other certain works. But in the New Testament, you're a saint simply by your belief in Christ and that you're born again and part of his family. That's what makes you a saint. And as J. Vernon McGee used to say, you're either a saint or an ain't. There's no other categories. That's it. 
We're sitting at a Bible study some years ago with a wonderful Italian a Roman Catholic man who uh, was part of the Christian church and so forth, but he had a lot of Roman Catholic history. And I was teaching on this. It was early in the morning, early 6 a.m. Bible study. Some people were taking coffee intravenously. It was just an ugly scene, drool and stuff. And it wasn't pretty. But anyway, I was teaching through this, and I said, all of you at the table, if you believe in Christ, you're a saint. And uh, this Italian brother of ours looked around and he goes, I just know one thing, ain't none of you saints. <laughs> now, I understood where he's coming from, but this is what the Bible says. The Bible says you're a saint, you're holy to God, you're set apart, you are sacred, you're important to him. He writes to the faithful brethren, Adelphos, in Christ, at Colossae. They are in Christ, that's their identity, but they are at Colossae. You are in Christ if you're a Christian, but you live in, many of you, in Corona, Right? In Christ at Corona. Could we say it that way? You live in, in two spheres. One is your geographic location. Doesn't matter where you are. We could say oh, the church at Corona, but you are in Christ. That's your position before the Lord. No matter where you go, you're in Christ and at Corona. Now, I hope you're not just at Corona. I hope you're in Christ at Corona. Everybody with me? Because if you're only just at Corona, that would be really sad, wouldn't it? Except for the few frozen yogurt places and Mexican restaurants. I mean, what else? <laughs> that was an attempt at humor. Anyway, we'll move on. Grace to you and peace. Shalom is the Hebrew word, Irene, the Greek, from God our Father. We have grace in Christ, and if you are in Christ, it says, in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be what? Made alive. This is your spiritual standing in Christ. Even in the catacombs, they found slabs to unknown Christians who were killed, and it said, in Christ, and in pace, or in peace. In Christo, and in peace. If you're in Christ, you have peace. If you're not in Christ, I don't know what you have. A pseudo-peace? You must be in Christ to experience this peace. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, praying what? Always for you. Now, by the way, Paul had never seen their face. Colossians 2.1 tells us that um, they had not personally seen his face. He did not plant this church, but he prayed for them always, and this was a solid church. You know who we pray for the most? People we know and people who are in trouble. Would you agree? Most of our prayer lists, and we should, we pray for people we know and people who are in trouble. But Paul prayed for a church he had not met yet except for a few of the leaders and prayed for them always. Does that challenge your prayer life? You know, most of the time, I have a tough time praying consistently for people I know, let alone people I don't know. We sometimes don't pray for pastors, for example. We hear on the radio, Charles Stanley, Swindoll, Greg Laurie, go down the list because we assume they're okay. That's a wrong assumption. They are probably the biggest targets that the devil has. So here's a principle. We should pray for those even that we haven't met and cover them in our prayers. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, their faith was in Christ. Remember, faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. If your faith is in the wrong thing, your faith can be futile and it can also be destructive. Example, Say somebody went to the top of the Empire State Building and believed by faith they could fly. And they said, I really believe today. My faith is really strong today. I believe I can fly. And so they said they mustered up their faith and they did a swan dive off the Empire State Building. Well, there's a greater law. It's called the law of gravity. 
And the law of gravity is gonna win and that person is gonna perish because faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. If your faith is misinformed or misdirected, you can be in deep trouble. So it's faith in Christ. And the love which you have for you all, for uh, which you have for all, love flows out of faith. Uh, faith, hope, and love are a combination of 1 Corinthians 13. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what are you wrestling with in your life? In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's no secret the Christian life is difficult, but you can take comfort in knowing you are not alone. In Pastor Michael Lance's book, Suit Up, he shows you a revealing look at God's armor and how the Lord will equip you to face the world. You'll learn about the nature of the battle, who the real enemy is, and God's provision to be victorious. Learn about how each piece equips you for spiritual battle when you get your copy of Suit Up today on walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. If your faith is in the wrong thing, your faith can be futile and it can also be destructive. Example, say somebody went to the top of the Empire State Building and believed by faith they could fly. And they said, I really believe today. My faith is really strong today. I believe I can fly. And so they said they messed up their faith and they did a swan dive off the Empire State Building. Well, there's a greater law. It's called the law of gravity. And the law of gravity is going to win and that person is going to perish because faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. If your faith is misinformed or misdirected, you can be in deep trouble. So it's faith in Christ. And the love which you have for you all, for, uh, which you have for all, love flows out of faith. Uh, faith, hope, and love are a combination of 1 Corinthians 13. But the greatest of these is love. Your love for all the saints, not some, but all the saints. We know we've passed out of death into life because we love God's people. Chuck Colson was serving a prison sentence after the Watergate scandal. He became a Christian, but he was severely tested. His wife did not understand the whole born-again business. His son was picked up, picked up on drug charges, and Colson, his world was falling apart, and he was despondent. But God met him in his misery and in the prison. A group of Christians in Washington, including Senators Hatfield, Hugh, and I believe you pronounce it Q, or Quee, were praying for him. Senator Quee discovered an old law that allowed an innocent man to serve a prison term for another, and he volunteered to serve the remainder of Colson's term. Colson turned him down. But he experienced love for all the saints, and Charles Colson was again refreshed in the reality of his faith. Imagine that. I'll serve the rest of your sentence, brother. This is reminiscent of what Judah did for Benjamin before Joseph, before they knew it was Joseph, and it moved Joseph to tears. And Joseph realized that his brothers had changed because Judah now was willing to take Benjamin's place, and he had to leave the room and go and cry. This is the power of love. This is the power of a life change for the gospel, and it manifests itself in hope. It's a hope laid up for us in heaven. Hope is a sure foundation. It's assurance, and it's laid up. It's on layaway, you could say in Greek. How many of you remember layaway? Now, years ago, there used to be this store called Gemco. How many of you remember Gemco? All right, this is, this is proven your age. 
okay? And you go in and you see these bright new pair of Nike tennis shoes and you say, I have to have them. Lights would be shining on them. Angels would be singing. Your vertical leap could go from three inches to six inches overnight. And he said, I gotta have them, but you didn't have the money. You could put the pair of Nikes on layaway. You say, how did that work? Here's what you would say. All right, I really want those, but I can't pay for them now. Put those on layaway, and as I do my paper route, I'll be back in six years to buy those. <laughs> I think they had a limitation on them, but anyway. And, and you go back, and once you had the money, isn't this a great thing? Maybe we should do more of this instead of credit, right? And then when you had the money, you go buy your Nikes, and they were put on layaway. Well, heaven is, it's on layaway. We have a reservation, and the reason we have a reservation is because we're in Christ, and Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Praise God. I'm in. He's prepared a place for me. And he's coming again to receive me to himself that where he is there, I may be also. It's my hope. The hope is the anchor of my soul. Are you hopeless or hopeful? Do you have hope in, in true form? Not I hope so, but I know so because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You have a reservation in heaven a few weeks back, my wife and I went out to dinner on a Saturday night. We rarely do this, but it was a very crowded place. It almost seemed like it was Disneyland. And we were traveling up and down the street, and we were going to go to this restaurant. We had a gift card for this restaurant, so we were, I said, honey, I'm going to call the restaurant really quick. And I said, uh, hey, uh, can I get on the waiting list? Uh, can I get a reservation? How long is the waiting list? He said, two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> no, just kidding. They didn't say that, but it was pretty long. But I got, I got on the list, and, and we got in quicker than a lot of other poor people that were around us. I, I didn't really feel horrible for them. Isn't it nice when you have... <laughs> It's just confession. Have you ever gotten that fast pass at Disneyland? That thing is cool. Because I hate lines. But you get the fast pass, you come back at a certain time, and all the poor, sappy people are in that long line, and you walk by on that fast pass, and it's just like... <laughs> 25 bucks. No, Dad. It's nice to have a reservation. Do you know you have a reservation in heaven? Amen. He's already prepared a room for you. There's a place for you. Now, I know we're running a little bit over, but I want to tell you a story I've told before, but it applies. Some years ago, uh, I was playing racquetball with a wonderful man, African-American guy, and we had great, great battles on the racquetball court. And when I would hit a good shot, he would say, now that's a shame. And I'd say, no, that was a good shot. And when he would miss, he would say, now that's a shame. <laughs> but we'd have good competitive matches, and, and we'd struggled in the battle in the racquetball court, but when we got out, we'd talk as brothers, and all of a sudden, I didn't see this guy for six months, and I found out through our network of, of friends that his wife had died, and he was only in his like early 30s. I was a little bit shocked, and I didn't see him. And finally, he showed up back at the gym some months later, and I said, brother, I said, I heard what happened. How are you doing? And he said, man, Pastor Michael, this has been a rough thing. And he said, I heard something a pastor said once that really comforted my soul. He said, going to heaven, dying and going to heaven is kind of like being born. And I said, how do you mean? He said, well, the pastor said, you know, when you're in your mama's womb, all you know is this kind of this dark water wonderland, and you're there, and you're comfortable and everything, but you don't realize that at a moment you're going to be born in a flood of light, and you don't realize the people on the other side have been waiting for your arrival. In fact, they've been preparing a place for you. 
And you know, it might be blue or pink depending on the sex, and it might be Dodgers or Angels depending on which baseball team is your preference, Dodgers. But anyway, <laughs> and so they're preparing a place for you, and you're born with a flood of light, and, and you have no idea what to expect. And he said, he said, being born, this pastor said, it's kind of like going to heaven. You don't know what to expect, but you don't realize there's people on the other side of them waiting there for you for a long time. They've been anticipating your arrival. You don't know how loved you are until you get there. See, heaven's on layaway for you and me. Christ is the hope, and this hope is the word of truth in the gospel. Folks, it's true, verse five, look at six. Which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit. It's increasing. The gospel always bears fruit in China and Sudan and places where it looks ugly, it's still bearing fruit. Even as it has been doing, and you also since the day you heard of it, and you understood the grace of God in truth. There it is again, the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, he's probably their pastor. You can reference chapter four, verse 12. Our beloved fellow bondservant, one who opens his ears and does his master's bidding, bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, verse eight, and he also informed us of your love in the spirit. It's the first eight verses of the book of Colossians. It's glorious stuff, and we have much glory ahead of us as we look at the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Jesus Christ himself, and I'm gonna invite the worship team up, said that the world will know that you are my disciples by what? By your love, one for another. Do you know that the world is really gonna realize that we belong to Christ when we start loving each other the way God has called us to love? Some of you have pulled your hearts back because you've been hurt. Some of you have been hurt by other Christians and maybe even other churches. Maybe this church, I don't know. And sometimes when we get hurt, we pull our heart back. We don't want to risk loving again. But let me tell you this. Loving is the best thing that you can do. It's the best way to redeem this life because God is love and we know we've passed out of death into life because we, what, love God's people. You know, here, I could simplify a week going into Easter right now. If, you, if your prayer this week is just simply this, God, my prayer is that you will love people through me. You will help me this week to see the best in people. You will help me to see people the way you see them. You will help me to love people the way you love them. Your life will change. It's not easy because your flesh will fight it, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and as your life is surrendered to Christ, you will love, maybe like you've never loved before. Can I tell you this? Life is short. You don't know what a day is gonna bring. I say that, and sometimes I wonder if people looking back at me are really hearing what I'm saying. Life is short. There's no guarantees. But the awesome thing is that we have heaven on layaway. And one day we're gonna experience what's called the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And until that day comes, we live with hope. Father, as we uh, sum up this first study in Colossians, I wanna thank you for the congregation here at Living Truth. Thank you for their desire to go deep into the things of God. Thank you for their open ears and open hearts. We lift up our brothers and sisters in Egypt. Lord, may you help them to pick up the pieces.
of their broken lives and move forward in faith. Their church has been, in many ways, broken. But we know you can do a marvelous work despite what's happened. Lord, help us count our blessings today. Let us not complain about silly little things that don't matter. Let us not make it about us, Lord. Let us make it about you and others this week. With your heart and head bowed, I just want to ask you, have you met Christ? Do you know that hope of heaven? Do you know if you died tonight, you would be there? Have you received him as both God and Savior? Have you said, and I would encourage you right now, if you've not done this right now, out loud, say, Jesus, save me. I believe you died on that cross for my sins. I believe you rose to defeat death. I believe you're at the right hand of God the Father. And I'm gonna trust you right now as my Lord and my Savior. I repent and receive you as my Lord. Maybe you are a prodigal. Maybe you've been off track. And you know you need to get back to Christ's preeminence in your life and sufficiency for your walk and call. Do some business with him right now. He's here and he wants to touch your life. And Father, for this precious congregation, may your living waters, times of refreshing, may they come from your Holy Spirit. May you encourage faith in this room and keep us busy about your business until you come for us or we go to be with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Well, I feel like every time I hear the Word of God, I've got some business to do with Him, and I'm sure you feel the same. And, you know, maybe today you are a prodigal. Maybe you've backslidden. Or maybe just something in this message has caused you to really reflect and look deep. That's, that's a good thing. And I believe you were ordained to hear this message today at this moment. And I would encourage you to do some business with the Lord and shore up any area that He may be pointing out to you or any any area where he wants to just give you some extra hope today. Well, I invite you to listen again next time on this station as you will hear a teaching on a prayer for growth. We'll talk to you next time. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.